The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at RomansChapter5 at Comcast.net. Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 29, What is an Atheist? Part 2. In his debate with William Lane Craig at Biola University, Christopher Hitchens said about atheism, We argue, quite simply, that there's no plausible or convincing reason, certainly no evidential one, to believe that there is such an entity, and that all observable phenomena are explicable without the hypothesis. This represents for us the second definition for atheism that we discussed last episode. That atheism is the claim that we do not have sufficient reason or evidence to believe in God. It is meant to sidestep the problems we highlighted in the first definition for atheism, the claim that God does not exist. Allowing the atheist to neither assert the non-existence of God which requires, as Hitchens said, an impossible burden of proof, nor to acknowledge that atheism is itself a belief, a faith stance. This strategic retreat is accomplished by claiming their assertion is procedural, logical and empirical rather than propositional. As Hitchens says, they do not assert the proposition, God does not exist, but merely indicate that there is no plausible evidence or convincing reason for God's existence. And, since there is no way to prove a negative, that the procedural burden of proof rests solely on those who assert God's existence. Absent this missing reason and evidence, we must conclude that God does not exist. Fair enough, right? Well, no. The logic of disjunction, this or that, tells us that one and only one of the terms is necessarily true in a disjunction in which the two terms are a proposition and its negation. If, on principle, as the atheist proclaims, there is no way to prove the negative term, and since the theist maintains his claim is faith, then, by stipulation, the atheist and the theist, as I previously asserted, both make their claims on faith. Only the agnostic stands before the proposition, God exists, faithless. This line of reasoning, then, brings us back to the now seemingly unavoidable disjunction. One can be an atheist with faith, or an agnostic without faith, but not both coming at the same issue from a slightly different direction. What does it mean when atheists lay the whole burden of proof on the theist? It means, logically, that there is a way to get a definite answer to the truth value of their assertion, to prove the positive claim. The God claim, though, is not your everyday naturalistic assertion, as the atheists want to treat it, but a special sort of claim to prove either the positive 
or the negative of this claim requires a God's eye perspective, an omniscient knower, an infinite being that, on principle, stands outside the knowledge of finite knowers. Implicitly, the atheist acknowledges this when he says that the claim that God does not exist is, in principle, unprovable, for only a God could prove that proposition too. Rational humans, then, must defer knowledge on this question. This, however, is precisely the position of the Western theist from the start. We say that God is accessed by faith, not knowledge. Again, we find the strictly rational position to this question is agnosticism. Atheism can deny God, but only by faith. The agnostic is perfectly willing to wait for more plausible evidence, more convincing reason, to defer judgment. Atheists, in practice, are not, or they wouldn't call themselves atheists, but agnostics. That disjunction haunts them no matter how we parse the logic, how procedural we make the claim to avoid asserting anything. Atheism is faith. It is based on the judgment God does not exist. Hold on, though. As the let's change the definition to avoid this problem, atheist, has one more trick up their sleeve, as we'll examine next time. We must now note, however, that the form of the logic shifts as soon as we start to discuss terms like plausible evidence and convincing reason. Logic demands that either God exists or God does not exist, but not both. This is the law of excluded middle. This is deductive logic, and it deals with necessary truth. If, on principle, however, God does not exist is impossible of proof, and the claim that God exists can be made more probable by means of evidence and reasoning, then we are not dealing with deduction, but with induction, and the whole case depends upon the evidence. Yes! the atheists cry in triumph. Show us the missing evidence and reason. You can't. Therefore, God does not exist. There is no God, the atheist declares. So there can be no evidence for God. And any evidence a theist brings forth, therefore, is not evidence for God, but evidence of something else, completely explicable by science. Or, as Hitchens said it, all observable phenomena are explicable without the hypothesis of God. I grant this explicability. Even more strongly, I proclaim this explicability without God. I find such explanations rational, compelling, interesting, even valuable. I was, after all, an atheist for 25 years. The atheist can explain the facts without God. And the theist can explain the facts with God. The problem then becomes, which explanation we should choose? Which do we believe best explains the observable phenomena?
And that is a question of value. What counts as evidence of God's existence? This, too, is a question of value. Scientific evidence is natural evidence, as this is the whole of what science studies. Science is bounded in its own self-contained natural world. Natural entities, natural processes. Evidence, then, can only be evidence of the natural in science. In other words, any evidence for God must be explained away, and thus, there is no evidence for God. This is not wanting for evidence. It is not an honest pursuit of truth. It is precluding the possibility of evidence a priori. The missing evidence that atheists demand is not really missing at all, but simply dismissed by executive fiat, by motivated reasoning, by a chosen theoretical construct held by faith. For the atheist, then, any evidence for God is by definition not plausible, and any reason for God is not compelling. The highest level of explanatory choice is the question, does God exist? Our answer to this question is the starting point for inquiry, and it conditions everything else we see and discover in our subsequent investigations, including what counts as good evidence and reason. What happens here is the result of playing a game with metaphysical explanation. Metaphysical explanations, for instance claiming we have or do not have free will, is not the realm of necessary knowledge, but of belief and explanatory choice. We can believe we have free will, or we can believe we do not, the position known as determinism. How we interpret the evidence of our free will depends on our metaphysical choice. Our beliefs don't change the facts. But in both cases, the facts are rationally accounted for. The evidence is explained. A determinist acknowledges the sense of free will every human being has, but he explains that sense away, denying its reality. He rewrites the feeling of free will as deceptive, as bad evidence. And the determinist is right to do so, if we are in fact not free. When atheists are presented evidence for theism, they immediately dismiss the evidence, rewriting it from their metaphysical presuppositions. And they may be right to do so if there is no God. I am not arguing that the atheist is certainly wrong in denying the evidence, though I believe he is. But I am arguing that they do so on the basis of faith, not on an objective and rational weighing of evidence and reason. Theists, too, stand on a chosen metaphysical explanation, one that accepts the evidence for God based on their a priori openness to it, believes it. Sometimes, as a result, bad evidence is admitted, as happens in all fields of human inquiry. But this does not mean that all evidence is bad, 
or uncritically accepted. Theists, at least, understand their position as faith. By hiding, oftentimes even from themselves, their retreat into metaphysics, the atheist claims that what is his choice, his belief, is not belief at all, but knowledge, and thus certain, objective. And of course, this is what is truly at stake in their desire to deny that they are believers. Most theists will tell you that their evidence for God rests on their composite life, rational consideration, life experience, etc., and not on any one thing. For me, faith in God is a result of a lifelong journey, mostly of the intellect, as I am a philosophy professor, but not entirely. It rests on psychology, introspection, interaction with others and the world. Together, for me, the case for God is compelling. But I could, even now, choose to explain all the evidence for theism away. This is the atheist side of our podcast's name, the Christian Atheist. That atheistic viewpoint is one voice upon which I can call from my intellectual tool chest. I understand that side of the looking glass, and I can avail myself of it even as I maintain my Christian beliefs. Atheism is not a neutral seeking for evidence of God and the subsequent acknowledgement of its lack. This is a story we tell ourselves in bad faith, to hide our own duplicity from ourselves and others, but it does not withstand rational scrutiny. Thus, the second definition for atheism is shown as not defining atheism at all, but agnosticism, the claim that we do not, or even cannot know, that there is or is not a God. I have no intellectual quarrel with agnosticism. It stands, as I said, between the two belief poles, and I find it virtually unassailable on purely rational criteria. It refuses knowledge, which is what the term means etymologically. This refusal of knowledge is why it is the position of retreat for the atheist, and why they want to blur the boundary between atheism and agnosticism. In fleeing the burden of proof of our first definition for a new country in which doubt reigns, they try to again set up the old certainty, the old dogma in a country where it cannot legitimately reside. This legerdemain should be clearly seen. The atheist who denies that atheism is faith must acknowledge himself a foreigner in the demean of agnosticism or renounce his citizenship in the demean of atheism. If, however, all that we deny in agnosticism is the assertion of knowledge concerning God's existence, and not faith, which is, after all, compatible with doubt, then we might say that agnosticism is compatible with both theism and atheism, so long as we understand both as faith positions. I can believe in God and recognize my inability to prove his existence, denying certainty to my claim. And the atheist can do likewise. This was the character of my own atheism 
for quite some time after becoming convinced by Jean-Paul Sartre that atheism was a faith-based position. The danger, though, to the atheist is that when you acknowledge that your position is faith, you are suddenly standing on a level with other believers, a position most atheists find intolerable, as evidenced by the violence of their reactions whenever one points it out. Hence, the atheist's continuing vacillation between positions when we seek to nail them down on a definition of the term. They want both the certainty of knowledge and the lack of decisional accountability in skepticism. What the atheist wants to claim in his retreat to agnosticism is that all the available evidence and reason are insufficient not only for knowledge of, but also for belief in God. And they assert this lack of evidence and reason with dogmatic certainty. It is, they claim, a simple fact that any intelligent person should acknowledge that there is insufficient reason and evidence for God's existence. The atheist wants to invest the skeptical realm of agnosticism with the dogmatic certainty he left behind in his strategic retreat from, using Hitchens' words, what is obviously impossible to disprove. I sympathize with this dilemma. Atheists are right to retreat from an impossible burden of proof. In essence, they want to conclude that belief in God is objectively out of bounds. For the lack of evidence and reason compel this conclusion. But we have a name for a belief compelled by reason and evidence. Knowledge. The legere domain should now be clear. The trick is subtle, but trick it is. Belief is not knowledge. And when the atheist stands in the skeptic's corner, the domain of doubt, taking pot shots at all those who believe, the emperor has no clothes. They, too, are believers. To refuse knowledge, that is, provable certainty, that God does not exist, only to retreat to the realm of the skeptic, and there to rebuild the dogmatic certainty they ostensibly left behind by pretending certainty lies outside them in the reason and data, is to step out of skepticism back into dogma. You can only claim such knowledge through faith, by choosing to believe what you do not know. Those of us who share with them the realm of faith should not be afraid to ignore their scorn, since we self-consciously recognize faith as faith, while they seek, in bad faith, to claim skepticism, while cultivating the dogma of knowledge. Now, Christians will talk of a knowledge of God. How is this possible if faith, which is how we relate to God, is a lesser form of knowledge? Well, perhaps we do not properly understand knowledge in today's world. Credo ut intelligam, Augustine said. I believe in order that I may understand. What we believe to be the case conditions what we know. It is because I believe that my senses generally report the truth to me that I know my wife is working on her computer just on the other side of this table. Most moderns, of course, 
find this idea disturbing when they understand it. But it seems to be a psychological truth. Immanuel Kant gave it philosophical currency, and it was, in many ways, the underlying truth of his Copernican revolution in Western philosophy. It is in this sense that Christian theology builds knowledge from belief. That is, we take evidence and reason while dwelling in the realm of the skeptic and decide that it is sufficient for belief, even though what we believe in, God, stands outside our understanding. We then build upon this foundational belief structures of knowledge which we claim as knowledge. But it is a knowledge built through skepticism and upon belief or faith. Western theism stands on the unknown, Socratic wisdom, and reaches out to the known, to the knowable. I see science, properly understood, doing precisely the same thing. The difference between the theist and the atheist is that the foundation of faith upon which the religious build is self-consciously faith. This is what G.K. Chesterton called mysticism in his orthodoxy. Mysticism, Chesterton said, keeps men sane. As long as you have mystery, you have health. When you destroy mystery, you create morbidity. The ordinary man has always been sane because the ordinary man has always been a mystic. He has permitted the twilight. He has always had one foot in earth and the other in fairyland. He has always left himself free to doubt his gods. But, unlike the agnostic of today, free also to believe in them. He has always cared more for truth than for consistency. If he saw two truths that seemed to contradict each other, he would take the two truths and the contradiction along with them. His spiritual sight is stereoscopic, like his physical sight. He sees two different pictures at once, and yet sees all the better for that. Thus he has always believed that there was such a thing as fate, but such a thing as free will also. He admired youth because it was young, and age because it was not. It is exactly this balance of apparent contradictions that has been the whole buoyancy of the healthy man. The whole secret of mysticism is this, that man can understand everything by the help of what he does not understand. The morbid logician seeks to make everything lucid and succeeds in making everything mysterious. The mystic allows one thing to be mysterious, and everything else becomes lucid. The third definition for atheism, that it is a lack of belief in a god or gods, is the most intriguing option of all for me. And it is the last gasp of the dying claim that atheists are not believers. I will attempt its explication in our next edition of The Christian Atheist. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand 
before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.